0: Two of a series that, that, we're, uh, that, that we're calling What's Your Game Plan? We talked about last week sort of the beginning of, of a game plan and whether you had... What it, what it takes to to get into the game, so to speak, and we talked about how you and I, inasmuch as we are in Jesus Christ, have everything required for life and godliness, so that you can live uh, a, a an effective life, you can uh, live a successful uh, life in, in that sense, and that this is given to you by god it 's given to you through his Power—it's a result of his his promises, and so that is, was our beginning thought last week. The, this week, we're going to go another step with that and talk about what what a life well lived might look like uh, as we as we go into fall to help you plan about what your life might look like. I will be honest with you—we it is not. Um, I think it's intensely practical, but it, it, is not, uh, it is not drilled down and defined. Like sometimes I see people, so I'm not going to give you this morning 10 steps to being particularly effective at your job, seven steps to being very effective uh, in your, your marriage. That is not the point this morning, but there is a larger point, a greater point that, that I think will instruct us in, in the same way. And what we're going to talk about this morning uh, is how we might live uh, in a way that, that our godliness and our growth in Jesus Christ uh, shows and shines through. And, uh, the, and the belief we had that we talked about last week is that the life lived in Christ is better than any other life that you could know. So I'm going to read to you from Scripture beginning in verse 5 of Second Peter chapter 1, going through verse 9. And it says this, For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So, uh, my my wife, uh, Libby, has taught for probably close to 20 years in a school district that is, that is predominantly uh, uh, Hispanic and, and Latino. I believe the number is like 85% Hispanic and Latino. Uh, most of my daily daily life when, when I'm outside of here, especially when I'm in the, in the community, being at Godwin Heights for so long, is, is amongst a, a community of people who are predominantly African American. Uh, I believe at last... At last count, at least in the in the, in the middle school, some of the numbers are rolling in that that the schools are under ten percent uh, Caucasian right now. And so I bring that up to say that sometimes what happens is I find out interesting things about what people think about, about white people. And so one of the things that, I, that, that we heard, and I was not even aware of, uh, having been a lifelong white person, uh, I did not have awareness of this, but one of the things that the students would tell Libby is, is, that, is that white people like sandwiches, uh, which is, in my opinion, not the best food ever. Ever granted, like you know, we know that like if we go to to an authentic Mexican restaurant, we might get we might get tacos, uh, we might get uh, tortas, we we might get alambres. We know that that we could go to to different restaurants. There are in Grand Rapids several different soul food restaurants, and they might have all kinds of great things that 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 are delicious. Apparently, if you went to a white person restaurant, you would get sandwiches. Um, I'm not what, sure what kind of sandwiches those are, but that's apparently what, what we, we eat all, all the time. And like, I'm like, when you say sandwiches, do you mean like a Philly cheesesteak? Because that's kind of a sandwich and I like that. Or do you mean like two pieces of white bread with like, like a, a layer of peanut butter on it? I don't even know the answer to that, but apparently white folk like, like sandwiches. So if you're white this morning, uh, there's a lesson for us all. You did not even know that about yourself, did you? Unless, I mean, maybe you did. Maybe you're a much bigger fan of sandwiches than I, and you're like, totally, I am the sandwich man. Um, but I bring up the sandwich for, for a purpose uh, not related to that, except for to say that this passage is a sandwich. We're going to make, make a sandwich with the, the, with the last passage which is go, that we talked about, which is going to make a point. Then it's going to make another point, and it's going to come back and be, be the other uh, half of the sandwich, the bread on the bottom uh, of the sandwich, which is going to make the same point. And so the top bread of the sandwich that, of this passage is found in, in verses 3-3 through, through uh, 4 which we, we talked about last week but it says this his divine power has given us everything required for godliness through the uh, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness by these has, he has given us very great precious promises so that through them we may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in this world because of the evil desire the The idea here though is what I want you to catch is that his divine power has given us so the, the top bread of the sandwich is this idea that it is God. God and God alone that has given us uh, given us something. What has He given us through His through, uh, uh, through His promises? He's given us everything that is required for a life of godliness through the knowledge of Him. That's the top bread of the sandwich. Now, the meat of the of the sandwich then is going to become this, because He has done that. Because God has has done what He has done. Because He's given us everything required. Uh, because those things have given us access to his very great and precious promises so that we might share in his divine nature, then verse 5 says, "...for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness." Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So here's, here's the idea. God has given us everything required to to live a, a godly life. Because of that, we should then live a godly life. That's kind of the center idea. The central idea that we're going to hit on is this, is that we should strive It makes every effort to supplement our faith with goodness, our goodness with knowledge, our knowledge of self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I am not going to this morning walk through step-by-step each one of those several reasons. One is that I would encourage you to dive deep in, into scripture, to read, to discover. The second reason is, is that often in ancient writings, what we have are vice and virtue list. They are they are common list. Uh, a, a list of vices or these are the things you shouldn't do in society. Uh, a virtue list, here's the things that you, you should do. Um, they're often less uh, specific than, than they, they seem, but the idea is that they are to be taken as a whole to say, you you should be a virtuous human. You should be a human who walks in this way, and so I'm going to define all of these generally as we should be, inasmuch as God has given His His divine power for everything required for a life of godliness. Therefore, we should make every effort to be godly. And what would godliness look like? Uh, it, it is not. Uh, if we read this in English, it looks like a step-by-step. You add this, then you add that. This. this is not a recipe in that sense. Rather, the idea is simply one of movement, or in other words, continue to grow. So make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, uh, and, and so forth. So, so the, the, the bread is God has given you everything you need for a life of godliness. The meat is, then we should strive... We, we, should, we, should, we should make every effort to be godly. Now, if you are, are uh, around, if, if you are listening, if you pay attention, you know that sometimes we talk about something called moralism. And so we need to ha- have a, a brief aside about moralism, and it is also why we're going to emphasize the, the two slices of bread on, on either end. But it is sometimes worried about by us in our generation that we might hear a gospel or a good news that is moralistic. Moralism is the idea that God likes you better and that you might earn his favor based upon the things that you do. So if we had a a vice and virtue list, typically in, in moralism, and moralistic thinking, our vice and virtue list is not like this, but rather um, don't do this thing in the culture, don't do that thing in the culture, don't do that thing, do do this thing. And so we have a list, but even if we use this list, sometimes what happens in moralism is we mistakenly think that if we can somehow live our lives in such a way that, it, that is by self-definition usually Godly enough that we will earn friendship or we will earn relationship with, with God. That God will like us better. And so I want to talk about the difference between earning and striving. Because the gospel itself is not at all opposed to striving. Striving is, is, is a part of the Christian life. What is not a part of the Christian life is earning. You are not designed to earn God's favor. In fact, the passage starts last week, his divine power has given you everything required. So in an earning system, that would be the idea that, that you were maybe given a, a, a startup, you were given a, a hand up, you were given that helping hand, and now you must, uh, you must continue to work enough. And if you work hard enough, you will earn different ranks in, in in your Christian life or you'll be liked better by God. And so in our, our heads sometimes or in our thought process, I think that we we sometimes think of, of Christian growth or the Christian life maybe like someone might think of the Boy Scouts or if you grew up in church. Awana. Uh, If you don't know what Awana is, Awana is the Christian version of Boy Scouts, which they had in the churches around here. But in either one of those things, you would earn different badges in different levels, and if you worked hard enough, you could earn your way up to the top of it. Eventually, in in the Boy Scouts, to being an Eagle Scout, which is a huge deal. And in Awana, I I don't know what you earned your way uh, to. but you could get lots of patches on your Awana Awana vest, which uh, doesn't make you as cool as you might think it does. So I think sometimes we think of the Christian life in the same way. God wants us to earn our way up. And so in Iwana, specifically, which again, Christian Boy Scouts uh, or Girl Scouts, in Awana, what you did is you set a certain amount of verses. You memorized the books of the, of the Bible. You did various other things. You paid your dues, which you brought a quarter each week to pay your dues. And if you did these things, you could get a, a higher badge and they, it was very easy as a small child to start to think then that the way that we grow and the way we progress in Awana is the same way that we grow and the same way that we progress in the Christian life. Now, the idea in Awana that you memorize books uh, of, uh, of the Bible, the idea that you memorize verses, that is good for life and growth. The problem is, is that is that in the young mind, sometimes it could be confused with, I've memorized this verse, I've ascended to a higher plane. At least you you have, at least in the social uh, scheme of, of Awana, you are, you, are, um, you are building your way up, you're going up the top. I was talking to Dave Block uh, this week uh, in the office about Awana, and he told me he was so good at Awana that he would Do each of his Awana books twice each year. He would, he would, he would, you had to memorize verses, you'd say the verse, they would sign off on the verse, and then you could go to the next verse. And if you were an overachiever in Awana, you would do your verses, you would say them, and you could get through a book. And he was such an overachiever at Awana that he would do his books twice. Every year. Now, you would not think that this would be, be a source of great uh, and, and abiding spiritual pride. But what happens, I think, is that in the churches, a lot of the churches that we grew up in, that had kind of a, an Awana format, is they confuse the Awana format for ascending up the, up the levels in Awana for the same way that a person grows in the Christian life. And so we, we inadvertently start to think that God is watching us. God sees us, and then he goes, okay, Dave Drake did his devotions uh, five out of seven days this week. I'm going to give him 1.5 points, not the full two, but 1.5. Dave Drake memorized a verse, and we say that to God. Look at me, God. I memorized this verse, and in our head, the idea is we think we've earned our way up. Look at me. I'm more spiritual. I'm better, and that God is appreciating and liking. us, and God is giving us then badges where we can say, look at what I've done in my spiritual life. Now, that is a That is a little kid version of something that I think in American evangelicalism got stretched out, expanded on, and essentially that is the way that the American evangelical church in a lot of places views Christian life and growth, right? Do your devotion, read your Bible. If you do these things, you're a better Christian and you have ascended slightly higher. Even when we don't want to be thinking like this, we often are. I often tell the embarrassing story of how sometimes I would be standing in worship and realize that I didn't have to look at the words i'm like look at me singing these songs don't even have to look at these words i can close my eyes super spiritual right and then i start to think some of these people some of these people have to be looking at the words not me not dave drake level of spiritual spiritual level on 10 look at that right and so that is foolishness by the way but but i had that experience in my life and went wait a minute I'm seriously thinking that I'm more spiritual because I've memorized modern songs written by modern people and I happen to naturally have the ability to remember things set to music. But there was this moment in my life, uh, not, not, not long enough ago, unfortunately, where I was like, look at how spiritual. And so sometimes I think that we think that the things that we do make us more spiritual in a way that makes us more acceptable to God, makes us more liked by God, and makes us, and we don't like to talk about this one, just slightly better than the other people in the congregation. And so we turn it into, into we turn all of life into an Iwana competition in church. Look at me, I memorize verses. Look at me, I say spiritual things. Look at me, I am singing these songs ever so spiritually. Depending upon your tradition, you could be, look at me, I'm raising my hands in worship. You come from the Christian tradition I come from. You could be, look at me, I never raise my hands in worship. Both of those could be considered spiritual depending on where you come from, right? And so I, I think that we do that, and I, I bring all of this up simply to say that moralism is the idea that somehow you might earn. There's nothing on it. It was announcements. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> See, he would get an Iwana badge for that, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because he knows that I can't bend over with <laughs> this. Uh, here, here's here's the idea. Simply put, the idea is this, is that the Christian life is not about you earning favor with God. It's not about you being liked better by God. It's not about God looking at you and going, hmm, look at that, look at that. They really stepped up their level. Uh, I am involved with coaching, coaching football. I've been involved with coaching football for 20 years now. One of the things we say this week is like, we, we say all the time is, you've got to earn it. And, or we'll say, you've got to bring more this week than last week, Right? Uh, the Christian life is not a football game, and that is not God's expectation of us. We are not earning anything. And so we need to be careful of moralism, the idea that creeps in that somehow if we just work hard enough that God will like us better. That is opposed to verse 3, it's his divine power that has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. That is, the, that is the one layer of the bread. The meat then is, because he has done that, because he has given us all of that, for this very reason, make every effort, to supplement your faith with goodness. Now, so flipping back then, so then some of us who grew up in in the Iwana background, some of us who grew up with too much of an emphasis on you have to earn God's favor, some of us who grew up too much with the, the idea that somehow we were more special or more precious to God based upon the things that we did, we have come to a view of the gospel that says, no, Jesus himself is at the center of the gospel. Jesus' work alone is at the center of the gospel. Jesus has made me acceptable. Jesus has died for me. Jesus loves me apart from anything I have done or will do. It is Jesus who has done everything and so we've come alive to the beauty of the gospel which says there is not a thing that we could earn it has been given to us by his divine power he has given us and so some of us have become alive in the gospel it's like oh Jesus has given it to us that's a beautiful thing my hope is that all of you would become alive to that gospel truth that there is not a thing that you have done to earn or, or, or deserve or be rewarded with the favor of, of God but rather it is has been given to you by Jesus and who he is, his goodness, his glory. I hope that you're all alive to it. But, but, a curious thing happened. What often happens is that in life there are pendulum swings. And so we pendulum swung from moralism, I can earn God's favor, to being awakened to the gospel. And then the unfortunate thing that happened on the other end of that was we stopped believing that we should strive for, Holiness, that we should strive for godliness. We stop believing those things, and then and and the thing that would allow us to to, to speak to that, we'd say, Well, that's just moralism. I don't want to be a moralist. I don't want to be, I don't want you to be a moralist either. I do want you to be a Christ follower. I do want you to be a person who's living in the reality of the divine power that's given you everything required for life and godliness. And so I am telling you, on the one hand, you cannot earn the favor of, of, of God by what you do. But I'm telling you on the other, because of what God has done, you should daily strive to be more like Him. You should strive to be more virtuous. You should strive to be more holy. Uh, to the words of, of the text, for this very reason, make every effort. You should be Efforting, which is not a real word, but we use it in our culture a lot right now, so we'll use it. We should be efforting as much as possible to become more and more and more like Jesus. Why? Because he's already given us everything needed. He's already empowered us to do it. He's already, by his body and his blood, made it possible. Therefore, it is such a... a, 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 a A foolish thing to claim the goodness of the gospel and then forget that one of the rewards of the gospel is that you don't have to live your life in sin anymore. It is foolishness to say that Jesus has saved you, that he's rescued you, he's redeemed you, he's given you everything needed for life and godliness, hallelujah, and then to live your life as though hell were still in control. It makes no sense. We should be making every effort. We should make every effort, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, your goodness with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. All of those things things which, as I said, we're not going to go through step by step by step, but the idea here is this, is that you should, at every moment, be making every effort to be as much like Jesus as you can possibly be. You say, well, I'm, I'm just a human and I'm fallen. I'm so. You are. Amen. I agree. That's step one in realizing the gospel. But step two is this that Jesus, with his body and his blood broken, has, f- 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 has paid the price for your sin. He has been resurrected from the dead to overcome the effects of your sin. He has called you for his goodness and his glory. And if his gospel is true, then then it is also true that his divine power has given you everything required for life and godliness. Therefore, you should make every effort to be like him. We should be neither trying to earn his favor nor trying to live like he is not glorious and holy and wonderful. We should make every effort. To be like him. For for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Your goodness with knowledge. Your knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... Another thing I want to point out is that salvation is instantaneous. The power of God is 100% available to you, but the process of becoming more like him is exactly that. It's a process. It's not a process where you're earning. It's not a process where, where, where you're getting badges. It's not a process where he's deciding to love you more. It's not a process, like I said last week, where you're chosen based upon your skills. The kingdom of God is not a kickball team. You will not be the last choice. You're, you're chosen based upon his glory and goodness, but also he has giving you the power in the Holy Spirit, his divine power to make you like him so that you can increasingly, daily, moment by moment, day by day, be more like him. For if you possess these qualities, these virtues, this this pursuit of holiness, this goodness, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. Ouch, Peter. Right? They will keep you from being useless. I think what's in, in mind there is this idea: is Peter's aware that that the believers that he, that he writes to are in a culture, they're they're in a place where where they're they're experiencing increasing persecution, uh, they're increasing all kinds of cultural pressure, all of these sorts of things. And what he realizes is is if the followers of Jesus look exactly like the people who don't follow Jesus, there's no real use for them in the culture. They become useless. They're 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 Their their holiness doesn't stand out. Their love for Jesus doesn't stand out. Their commitment to King Jesus doesn't stand out. And so the culture looks at them and goes, why would I want to follow Jesus? You guys aren't any different than than we are. I think that we have that problem in our own culture currently, to a great extent. We have confused uh, what it is to follow Jesus with what it is to follow all kinds of other things. We've confused what it is to follow Jesus with with. Politics. We've confused what it is to follow Jesus with business success. We've confused what it is to follow Jesus with, with monetary success. We've confused it with a, with a lot of different things. And so instead of being transformed and conformed to the gospel, in a lot of ways in America, and I'm sure this happens in every other country, we have transformed and conformed our gospel to conform to our culture. Instead of our culture being transformed by the gospel, I would just caution you that holiness, to be like Jesus, to possess all of these qualities, in increasing measure is going to set you apart from the culture and it's going to make you seen and it's going to make you known. Some days that will be pleasant. Some days it will not be pleasant. But in any case, if you do those things, it will keep you in the kingdom since for being useless or unfruitful. I would hope that all of you in your pursuit of what it is to live your daily life want a fruitful daily life. You want to accomplish something that has meaning. You want to see uh, see things happen good things happen in that sense. If you're a Jesus follower, you want fruit. And the fruit of following Jesus is becoming more like him. And the fruit of following Jesus is leading other people to become more like him. And the fruit of following Jesus is leading people in the culture to love him and know him and accept him. He is he has chosen. He has been good and he's allowed us to be a part of that missionary work. The reality, however, is is that some of us need to wake up to that reality that if we live nothing like Jesus and we're telling our friends who don't know him that they should, why in the world would they want our Jesus? It's, it's useless. We need to be awakened to that. And I'm, I'm passionate about the central part of this and passionate about this, guys, because you've heard us preach the gospel again and again and again, I'm hoping that you will hear us also preach that the effects of the gospel are holiness, the effects of the gospel are godliness, the effects of the gospel are are, are knowledge, goodness, self-control, and all of these things in increasing measure so that you would never make an excuse, that you would never stand apart, that you would never seek to glorify Jesus with your lips, but be living in a damnable way with your lifestyle. I know all of you have a passion for reaching people. I know that you have relationships with unbelievers. I know that you are trying to lead your friends to Christ. My answer, my my question would simply be this, based upon the passage. In trying to lead your friends to Jesus, are you following Jesus? And if you're not, why in the world would they want to? Yet, the promise is, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you. From being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then verse nine becomes the bread, the, the other bread, the other bread to the sandwich. Verse nine becomes either the uh, the top or the bottom bread we put in the sandwich together. The idea is that we would be that we would we would strive that we would pursue holiness. We would pursue those things. The verse nine says the person who lacks these things is blind and short sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from past sins. What Peter's saying there is this, is that if you live in such a way where you claim Jesus with your lips, but you're not possessing an increasing measure, uh, goodness, you're not possessing an increasing measure, knowledge, you're not possessing an increasing increasing measure, self-control, endurance, godliness, if you're not possessing these things in increasing measure, the reason is this, you have forgotten the gospel. You have what, what Dave Block texted me yesterday, he's like, it's gospel amnesia. We're working on the same passage. And he just texted that out of, out, of, uh, out of no place. So I was, I was about to go watch a Lego movie with my kids. And so I just sent back a question mark. He's like, no, it's gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia causes people to forget. And he went on to essentially make this point <coughs> that I'm going to make to you is that that if we are not growing in the faith, if we are not becoming more good, if we're not becoming more godly, if we're not becoming more patient, and I, I don't think that the le, the, this list is exhaustive, so I would just simply say this. If we are not becoming more like Jesus, the reason is probably gospel amnesia. We have forgotten our cleansing from past sins. What is he saying? He's saying this. If you truly believe that Jesus is the God of the universe, come in the flesh to rescue sinners like you and I, to die on the cross to bleed, to 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 be beaten, to be sacrificed, to be laid in a grave. If you truly believe that Jesus came to do. That, so that you might be rescued from your sins and you continue to walk in your sins. Have you not forgotten what Jesus has done? We've forgotten what it is. How can you believe that Jesus has died for you and continue to walk in sins? How can you believe that Jesus has forgiven you and continue to pursue your sin? How can you believe that Jesus has overcome death in the grave and continue to live a death grave clothes, life. Why do we continue to live like dead people if we believe that Jesus has made us alive? We have gospel amnesia. We've forgotten our cleansing from past sins. If you believe truly that Jesus has forgiven you, if you believe truly that Jesus has rescued you, you believe truly that Jesus, Jesus has made you new, if you believe truly that Jesus is bringing you from death to life, if you believe those things, you will want to pursue him. You will want to be like him. You will want to know him. What causes us not to do it is that we have amnesia of the gospel. We've forgotten what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, we go and live our lives in the way that we want to. And the cure for all of us is to remember our cleansing from past sins. The good news, the great news, the amazing news of the Gospel is based upon the horrific news for you and I, that each of us were deserving of separation from God forever. Each of us were deserving of death. Each of us were deserving of hell. None of us were deserving of love. None of us were deserving of his blood. None of us were deserving of his care. None of us were deserving of anything. We were deserving of destruction. You could describe to me the worst destruction, the most awful, horrific destruction you could describe, and I will tell you I was deserving of that and a million times more. And so were you. So were you. The the, the, the good news of the gospel is based upon this bad news. You deserved death. You deserved death hell. You did not deserve love. The good news of the gospel is Jesus because of his goodness and his glory has given it to you. Jesus because of his goodness and glory has rescued you. Jesus because of his goodness and glory took the punishment that you deserved. The punishment that brought you peace was upon him. The scripture says, have you forgotten your cleansing from past sins? If he has cleansed you from past sins, why do you walk into them in the future? Have you forgotten what he's done? Have you forgotten how he loves you? Have you forgotten how he cares for you? Have you forgotten these? Things When you're not holy and you don't try, have you forgotten what Jesus has done? When you have people in your life and you refuse to love them because of some petty grudge, have you forgotten what Jesus has done? When you, when you say things that you shouldn't, when you, when you watch things that you shouldn't, when you imbibe things that you shouldn't, when you do all of these things, when your attitude is horrible, when your love is non-existent, when your patience is gone, when your knowledge of Jesus you don't even try to grow, have you forgotten what Jesus Jesus has done? The answer is yes. And gospel amnesia is a horrific, terrible, deadly disease that must be overcome. And the only answer is to rediscover this truth. There is a man, his name is Jesus. He was God in the flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and rose again. Why? So that you and I might be saved from our sin. If we're saved from our sin, that is the reward of the gospel. Why would you claim to know Jesus if you do not want his reward? The good news is you don't have to sin anymore. You can be like him. Do not be a person who's forgotten your cleansing from past sins but be a person who joyfully leans into this reality that the good God of scripture has rescued you from sin and death and hell so that you might be like him, so that you might know him, so that you might glorify him, so that he might have joy in you, that he might claim you as his own possession, that he might claim you as his own prize, so that you might have in his presence pleasures evermore, that you might know him for eternity. This is the truth of scripture. May we overcome our gospel amnesia and may we strive with everything we have to be more like him.